Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to Season 4 of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season, we're exploring the theme of courage, from the traditional definition to the new and unexpected ways that courage shows up in our own lives. Today's interview is with Veronica Rucker, a Peabody Award-winning former host at Wisconsin Public Radio, trained opera singer, and communications coach. She's also the new author of Outspoken, Why Women's Voices Get Silenced. Veronica's research led to some pretty sobering facts and some you might not be shocked by, like the fact that women's voices aren't being heard at work, at home, in public. When they speak up, they're seen as pushy, loud, and too much. When quiet, they're dismissed as meek and mild. Everywhere they turn, they're confronted by the assumption of a male-dominated world. In this episode, you'll learn how to recognize the value of your voice and tap into your inherent power, potential, and capacity for self-expression. We'll also discuss why it's totally okay to change your voice. And now, this is The Females. Well, thank you for joining The Females, Veronica. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Well, you've had such an interesting career path, including opera singing, which I've never said that on this show before. So (laughs) (laughs) briefly tell us about your career path up to now. Right. Well, I think the the shorthand is that I've always just been in love with the sound of the human voice. And in particular, I fell in love with my voice. And that started back when I was a kid. My mom used to bike around in town. She had one of those little baby seats on the back of her bike. And I would ride in that and I would sing everywhere we went. (laughs) And I never really stopped singing. And I never really stopped being into using my voice. And I just deepened that relationship. And as I got older, I studied voice. I went to school and I got a bachelor in music, in vocal performance. And I I did, I wanted to be an opera star. (laughs) And at the end of my career, I fell in love with writing in my end of my college career. And I got really invested in that. And so I decided to take kind of a a swing in a different direction. And I thought, well, I can write at this radio station. I don't know why I thought I could write at a radio station, but that's what I thought. And so I went there and they they took uh, took me around on a tour and they said, oh, you don't have any speech defects. Do you want to be on the air? (laughs) And I kind of didn't want to be on the air at the time. But, you know, when someone asks you that, you just you say yes. So I embarked on this long career in radio as a talk show host where I use my voice in a different way to connect with people, to form bonds, to understand where they were coming from and their emotions and to to reach a place of of deeper understanding. And so I, I still continue to use all that training from my opera singing days. And 
from there, I started to notice, you know, hey, we're having trouble getting women to speak in certain areas. We go to the same guys again and again in, in business and in finance, in political science. The other thing I saw was that women didn't seem to feel as confident and they didn't seem to love their voices the way that I love my voice. And I wanted to change that because it's really changed and enhanced and deepened you know, my, my entire life. And I'm so grateful for that. And I started my business, Veronica Ricker Coaching, to try to bring that to, to everyone, to every woman in particular. And with that coaching, it was it for public speaking, like giving presentations or day to day or everything? I mean, when you say women didn't love their voices, what exactly are you referring to? Well, when I lead my workshops, so I lead workshops with women and we do kind of a mashup of everything I just talked about. So there's a lot of stuff with the body where we start to get in touch with our bellies again to use the breath in ways that support the voice. Because most people have never been taught a day in their life anything about how to use their voice. And that was sort of the bedrock of it for me. So we work on some basic techniques like here's your voice. Here's how it works. Here's how you take a deep breath. And then we also talk about the storytelling aspects of the voice and public speaking and confidence and all of those things, because they're all tied up together. They're married right. together. And for instance, when we feel a certain way about our body, that's really reflected in the voice because the voice is the only instrument that's housed inside the human body. And so it's this deeply personal thing. And I want to try to help people understand all of that together, because for women, it really goes deep. And women have these really deep seated feelings about their voices and often kind of a, a feeling maybe from their past that they've carried with them, that they should be quiet or they're not good enough or their voice you know, is ugly and they don't like it. And, you know, I do. I ask that at the start of every workshop, do you love your voice? And nobody ever raises their hand. And that's what I wanted to change. Right. I took a communications class in college. The final basically was we had to stand up and she videotaped it. We had to stand up in front of the class and give a presentation. And then we all got to critique each other. And it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the girls, when she stood up, she was very short. And then when she stood up and gave her presentation, she had a pretty high pitched voice. And the teacher, it was very tough feedback, but I thought it was really helpful. The teacher said to her, you have a bigger challenge in front of you because your voice is high pitched and it sounds really young. And that's going to be something that, you know, gets judged or people are going to automatically think certain things. And so it was fascinating because it was, I'm sure that was extremely hard for her to hear, but also important because that's probably not, not true. People do judge if you have, especially if you're a woman, if you have a really high pitched voice or a really raspy voice, like it seems like that is definitely something people take notice of. Right. All that's true. And a lot of that is because we're often told that women's voices, we get these messages from our culture that women's voices are not quite right, especially in leadership areas. Yeah. And you hear this on the political scene too. You know, you hear words like shrill and klaxon and annoying and grating and whiny. And there's this huge laundry list, but really it, what it comes down to is that when we're used to hearing people speaking in public, we're used to hearing men. Yes. And so when you women in those same positions and it could be on the political stump or it could be in the boardroom if a woman sounds less in that male pattern speech we're so used to hearing, it often gets flagged. And so if your voice sounds higher, then you sound often even less like a guy. Yeah. And that's going to be a strike against you. And I think, you know, here's the thing. I think that that will change as we get more toward equity in areas of gender 
and other areas of diversity, we're going to have more of an acceptance of diverse voices too. And that might mean you don't have to sound like a man anymore when you speak. Have you heard about Elizabeth Holmes? She was the CEO of Theranos, obviously. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so basically there was this great podcast called The Dropout and they talk about how she lowered her voice to sound more like, I think it was specifically to sound like more like a man, but she also started to kind of dress like Steve Jobs. And there's things on the internet where they will show her voice before versus her voice when she lowered, as you said, like women's voices. It's really a comparison to how it sounds to a man. Right. That's so interesting that Elizabeth Holmes story that came out and people really had these strong reactions. Yeah. And the, at the core of all of that, that conversation is, you know, what do we think about a woman who changes her voice? Is she allowed to change yeah. her voice and why does she change it? And I think it's totally fine to change your voice if you feel like it doesn't reflect who you are on the inside. And I work with a lot of women in my coaching business who come to me and they just don't feel right. They say, I do public speaking, but the voice I hear when I speak does not reflect the power. It's usually power that they feel inside that they don't think is being communicated. And so then if they want to work with their voice and change it to sound like something that reflects who they are on the inside, I say, go for it and yeah. I help them do it. But if it's being kind of pushed from the outside by someone saying, you don't sound right. In fact, there's an interesting anecdote in the Steve Jobs, uh, his daughter's autobiography about how he went out to dinner and he critiqued the cousin's voice and said, your voice isn't right. You should, you should fix your voice. And so if that's the kind of criticism that's coming at you, then you're never going to have a good relationship, no matter what change you make with your voice. Mm -hmm. So I think as long as it's coming from you and it's coming from a place of positivity and empowerment, why not? Right. You know, we don't tell athletes, don't try to run faster. Don't try to be stronger. Of course we don't. So right. why can't we work with our voice? That's a good point. You're clearly an expert on this, which is probably why you recently wrote a book called Outspoken, Why Women's Voices Get Silenced and How to Set Them Free. But I mean, was it just really you felt like I've got all this information to share? I've got to write this book and it needs out there. I mean, why now write the book? Oh my gosh, I feel like this is exactly the right time. We're waking up to the fact that women's voices get sidelined. You know, we have this whole language for it now, which I think is just mind blowing. You know, have you heard the word mansplaining, for example? Yep, definitely. Yeah, definitely. and manspreading and manpropriating. I mean, there are all these experiences that women have had kind of to describe the experience of speaking well female. And a lot of women are going, you know what? I am sidelining my voice. Even I discovered that at the beginning of this journey that, yeah, there were moments when I was shutting down because. It's just not what we expect women to do, to add their voice. And so I do try to urge women to get out there and share their voices. And at the same time as all of that, there's all this research that's piling up about women who are interrupted on the U.S. Supreme Court, about women being seen as less competent if they speak more often in the boardroom. There's a huge wealth of research that shows, you know what, women, we are not crazy. Yeah. This is what it's like to speak as a woman in our culture. And as long as we know about it, we can support each other. You know, we can share our stories. We can amplify each other's voices. There's something we can do, you know, and I feel like the moment is absolutely now. And I wanted to seize that moment and get in there and help. Yes. You mentioned research and I kind of, researching this topic and getting ready for the interview with your book, it was that researchers found that female executives who speak more often than their peers are rated 14% less competent. Male executives who do the same enjoy a 10% competency bump. And it was like, 
what? I mean, like, <laughs> what? just because their voices? I mean, as you said, it's probably not just their voice. It's the confidence. It's all the things because all these pieces go together, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly the right reaction. You read this and the first time you hear it, it does blow your mind and not in a good way. And you're going, what's going on here? That research you're referencing, it comes from Yale University. And the researcher looked at what happened. She created these scenarios with hypothetical male executives and hypothetical female executives. And then she asked respondents in her study to say, well, if this woman talks more than her peers, how do you rate her competency? And if this man does the same thing, what happens to him? And as you said, his competency rating goes up, hers goes down a lot. And so as a woman, if you're in that spot in your career and you're sensing that things just don't feel right when I speak, what's happening, and you're staying quiet out of fear, well, maybe you're right. Because again, you're not crazy. We have data to show that this is actually going on because we're just, again, we're just not used to hearing women's voices in those places of power. And we're not giving women license to speak with the same frequency and volubility that we give men. And we don't give ourselves that either because it's not the pattern that we grew up seeing. Right. You know, I was thinking about it as I was writing this book. Like I grew up watching you know, nature documentaries a lot on PBS, and they were always narrated by men. And it never occurred to me that a, a woman right. could narrate a PBS nature documentary. It never even occurred to me. It was just the wallpaper. And so that's what I mean, where we're starting to just finally wake up to this. Right. No, I, I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, yeah, I know that's right. <laughs> and so specifically, how can us women recognize the value of our voices and really tap into that inherent power, potential, and, and really the capacity for self-expression? Yeah, it's such a great journey and it's really powerful. And I will say, let me share one thing in my workshops. One thing that really struck me in the beginning was that I do this exercise with a lot of the women that I coach where we put our palms together, palm to palm, and we're kind of pushing against each other to create some force. And often what that really does is it frees up the voice and you get this powerful voice that you hadn't heard before. And so in almost every workshop that I lead, there's a woman who starts to cry because all of a sudden she hears this huge full-throated voice that she's never heard before. She didn't know it was there. And it comes as this incredible kind of moment of self-recognition. And that's what I'm hoping for, for all women to form that positive relationship with their voice, even though, you know, there are these cultural dog whistles that say women's voices aren't wanted. We prefer our women to be quiet. And by the way, this goes back generations and generations and generations. The Bible prefers silent women. Aristotle said silence is the glory of woman, but this is not equally the glory of man. I mean, there are just countless references. And so, of course, we're shaking off hundreds of years of this. So it's going to take some turning the wheel in the other direction. So step one is really getting comfortable with your body and in particular with your belly. So you can take a nice deep belly breath and let your body expand. Your stomach is meant to get bigger when you take in a breath. And that's how we can start to take up spaces, both with our bodies and with our voices, because the breath really supports the voice and the voice is what we're talking about here. But we're also talking about the voice as a metaphor, as this vehicle for launching us into the world and helping us express our desires and our opinions and our passions and our ideas. So the voice does all that. And it really starts with having this positive relationship, starting to use it, starting to trust it and understanding some of the pushback that is out there. Yeah, that's a good point. So if somebody wanted to practice this, is that an example of like take a deep breath and then push your palms against each other to create force and then 
you know, practice saying something. That's a good one. And you can also do that against a wall. So you really, I really push hard. <laughs> and so you got to exert a lot of force and that can help free it. Lying on a yoga mat, putting your hands so that your two middle fingers touch right over your belly button and then taking a deep belly breath and trying to, with your belly expanding, what happens then is that these two fingers pull apart. And then when you exhale, they come together again. So you get a sense because we're so cut off from our stomachs as women. We don't like to think about it. There's this whole industry of shapewear that exists just to help us kind of forget that we have bellies. <laughs> and we really just have to get in touch with them again and be okay with that. And so it starts with that. So lying on a yoga mat, when you wake up in the morning, feeling the belly rise and fall and not taking a breath, you know, where your shoulders go up around your ears, but it's a really nice low breath. And maybe when you talk, maybe take a few extra seconds. Don't rush through your phrases. Don't be worried that people are getting bored or that they're zoning out or that someone's giving you a dirty look. You know, no, you've got the spotlight. You've got the time to talk and use it and feel that it is your right to use it. And I think it's a couple of the ways that we can start to take up the talking space that, that we need. Mm -hmm. Are there tips around like uh, you mentioned speed, but like what about, you know, volume, standing up straight? I mean, are there like specific tips that let's say you walk into your boss's office and you want to, you know, pitch an idea, you know, and you want to make sure your voice is heard? What should you do? I teach as a baseline, not crossing the legs and not crossing the arms. So particularly, you know, if you're sitting, we're talking about a sitting scenario now, I can talk a little bit about standing. So taking up more space. So your knees are going to be a little bit apart. Your feet are going to be flat on the ground. Your chest is going to be expanded. Your shoulders are rolled back and you're going to give yourself the luxury of taking one of these deep, low breaths and then using your voice. So the voice is like, it's the incredible instrument that you have in your body. It's like a Ferrari that we never take out for a spin. We just let it sitting in the garage, but it has expressive capabilities. It can have loudness, softness. It can have inflection. It can have highs. It can have lows. It can do amazing things. And so if we start playing with it a little bit more and using it more like an instrument and less just like this basic instrument that we, we never think about, then we can have a lot more fun with it. So trying to fill up the room with it. Speak a little louder than you might normally speak. Try to express a little more than you might normally express. If you're talking about something and you're passionate about it, I want to hear passion. If you're sad about it, I want to hear the sadness. So the voice divorced from the meaning becomes a lot less powerful. So to allow yourself to really inhabit the words that you're saying is a fundamental for any good pitch. Right. What about if you are interrupted in a meeting, you know, so you're prepared, you're giving your speech. And as you were talking about, there's this new language and, you know, you're interrupted or, you know, someone mansplains or takes credit for your work. And I do feel like oftentimes, you know, when you're really prepared for your speech, yes, you can do all the things you just said, but how do you, what do you do when you're not prepared and you start to have that reaction? You know, someone's just kind of cut you off with an interruption. Right. Well, the first thing I teach is if you have that shrinking reaction, where you've been cut off and all of a sudden you start to shrink in on yourself and you go, oh God, you know, I've lost this moment to turn the wheel. So to remember to pull your shoulders back, take a belly breath. And then there are specific techniques you can use if you're not used to interrupting. Now I know there are some, and I've met them, women, there are women out there who don't think that there's ever really an excuse to interrupt anybody. And I disagree because I think we've all had that experience of sitting there and you're absolutely 
engorged with an idea. You want to get your idea out on the board. You want it on the table for people to discuss and you get interrupted. And if you don't get the floor back, that idea is gone and that moment is gone. And so what I teach is that you can either interrupt again so you can get in there again and you have to listen carefully. There is a phrase I use, which is I'm going to jump in. And it's important that the G is a hard consonant because it creates this sort of cognitive dissonance in the person who's speaking. I say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna over and over until I get in. And this technique works almost every time. Sometimes on conference calls, it's a little tough because you can't really see the person, but your body languages, you're leaning in, you're talking louder, you're talking faster. And that creates this audio wedge. So the person who's speaking kind of has to stop it's too hard for them to keep going. And in the other case, if someone's trying to interrupt you, you start speaking louder. You have to speak a little bit louder than they're speaking. You can't look at them because then you give them permission to continue. Sometimes you can hold up your finger and you might even want to say, just let me finish this thought. So there are, there are ways I think that women can learn to assert themselves. I mean, is it their job to do this? No, it's not our job, but it is a way that we can get our ideas on the board for the time being. Right. Let's take a quick break to tell you about Majuri. Majuri is the jewelry company that has finally figured out what no one else in the jewelry business has been able to wrap their heads around. It's that we don't need a special occasion or a gift from someone else when we want a new piece of high quality jewelry. We can buy ourselves a necklace on a Tuesday just because. Majuri makes fine handcrafted jewelry for your everyday because you should be able to buy your fine jewelry for yourself without any special occasion. Majuri features a line of Zodiac-inspired pieces for those of you struggling through Mercury and Retrograde right now. I love the Zodiac necklace in gold vermeil and white sapphire. It's a perfect example of a fun piece of jewelry that says, hey, look what I bought for me, just because. Head over to Majuri.com to check out their collection of timeless, understated, and fun statement pieces. Or follow Majuri on Instagram and sign up for their weekly jewelry drop. Another cool thing about Majuri, rather than charging eight to 10 times the production costs like traditional luxury brands do, Majuri instead nurtures direct relationships with manufacturers to bring high quality craftsmanship directly to you without those ridiculous markups. Or you can treat yourself right now because just for our listeners, when you go to Majuri.com females, you'll get free shipping on all your orders over $100. That's Majuri.com females. M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash females, F-E-M-A-I-L-S. Treat yourself to something nice today. I used to be really kind of terrified about giving presentations. And I don't know if it was just sort of the fact that the way the room was set up where you had all these people looking at you and you were standing, they were sitting and it felt very, you know, like, you know, you better get this right because they're all they're all waiting yeah, for you to be yeah. sit. And one of the things that helped me a lot get more comfortable with presentation skills was one, doing it more often, but two, going to the middle of the room too, versus being, you know, at the head of the table or something. Are there other, you know, besides voice when it comes to those presentations? Because I, I do think that's a big nerve wracking piece for people. But yeah, it, it really can limit you if you don't present in meetings and let your boss see you as that leadership potential. I mean, what can you do if you've got a fear of public speaking, you know, to, to really help make sure your voice doesn't tremble and like th- that kind of stuff? Yeah, that fear of public speaking is so tough. And it happens to almost everyone, even people who've never had it before. All of a sudden, then bam, they can get hit with an attack of the nerves. So that's why it's important to understand your speaking style and the things that make you comfortable. So you did exactly the right thing. 
you figured out, hey, if I move over from this corner where I might feel kind of confined and I command the room more, I feel more at ease. So that's your speaking style. Some people like a podium so that they can grip it. So that's something else. And asking for the accommodations that you need. I think visiting the room ahead of time is incredibly important if you have fear about public speaking. So you can visualize yourself ahead of time in that space. And if you see, oh, they've got me in the corner where I start to feel anxious, I'm going to arrange for accommodations that put me in the middle of it. And then if I'm still getting ready for it and I'm still feeling panicky, there are breathing exercises that you can use. So one that I think is kind of magic, and I read since that Hillary Clinton used this on the campaign trail, is an alternate nostril breathing. Probably too complicated for me to explain now, but it's just what it sounds like and there are tutorials online. And I've used it before radio interviews where I was a little freaked out and it calms me down almost instantly. The bummer about it is that you can't do it in front of other people because you look kind of <laughs> like a weirdo. It's not really boardroom protocol. But another thing you can do is double the length of your exhalation. So you're starting to hyperventilate. Your body's going into panic mode. What you can do is exhale to a count of eight and inhale to a count of four. And nobody knows if you're doing that. People are doing their own thing. And as you get ready, you can practice that breathing and really center yourself ahead of time and get yourself calmed down. Now, if you're really in panic mode, you want to get your more your logical brain on the line and not the emotional reactive side that's going into fight or flight mode, you might want to try to, if you're at a boardroom table with a pen in your hand, you can start to write the alphabet backwards. And I have done this while I'm speaking on the radio, while I'm listening to the other people speak, I might go Z, Y, or you can pick out all the red in the room. But these are tools to help you through it. Ideally, exposure and understanding your own style, how you're going to feel comfortable, how you're going to shine in the moment. Ideally, those are the things that are going to get you through that hurdle. Yeah. And practice is all of this, right? It's you have to yeah. get up there and do it, even if it's not pretty all the time. Right. And there are times it is going to be a hot mess. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we just have to accept that. Sometimes you just have to move through that. And that's part of the that's part of the learning curve. Yeah. Think about whether you're kind of closing yourself off and making it hard for you to come out into the room to expand yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice because people forget <laughs> we are looking at your body language. You might not see it because you're not looking at it, but everyone else is looking at it. It's like certainly women are judged more harshly. I mean, there's that phrase resting bitch face, which is not my favorite. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, if they're not smiling, then that's the label. What are your thoughts on that? Like, is this something where, you know, as more women are in the workplace and part of the workplace, they can help kind of curb that? type of stereotypes and judgment? I absolutely think so. And I hope that it's happening now. And one great example of that, which is more voice than physical posture, but do you know about vocal fry? Yes. So vocal fry is the term for what happens when the voice is really pushed down into a low register and it becomes kind of like this, if you can hear that. Hi, how's it going? So there's a lot of gravel in the tone. Some people say it sounds like bacon sputtering in the pan. And it's definitely something that has been particularly attributed to young women. And yet what happens in the workplace is that younger women are penalized for it. And by the way, everybody has vocal fry. Men have vocal fry. And what we're seeing now is that kind of pushback, that bias against young women's voices. And by extension, young women's ideas and young women's authority in the workplace. And so I do think this is something that we need to start taking seriously, especially in HR departments, we can say 
there is a bias against this, yeah. particularly in young women. So let's be careful as we go into these hiring committees. Let's be careful to really listen to the ideas and focus on that and not focus on emotional reactions to the voice. Mm -hmm. I wish also that companies would provide voice training. You know, this is another one of those things where I'm so happy I learned algebra and went to, you know, English class, but I really wish someone had also talked about, you know, voice and what goes into that. Because as we said earlier, you know, being able to present in front of a boss, being able to be really good at the storytelling aspect, like these are parts that matter a lot in that career advancement. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. I think you're absolutely right. I do wish that in schools and in our businesses, places of, of our work, that we would get those resources and help them on that journey toward a positive relationship with their voice. I guess you would probably know this better than me, but I'm going to bet that most public speakers, you know, like the people who actually get paid to be out there publicly speaking, have a lot of training with this, right? Like even if you're naturally good at, you know, storytelling, you're going to amp it up. There's definitely something to that. I think those people have had a lot of training and there are definitely executive coaches who help with just this sort of thing. But here's one thing that I would add a note of caution on. So like I mentioned, a lot of the women that I see come to me because they feel like maybe they get great remarks on their speaking, but they don't feel great. We're in a new era and we really need to recognize it. So someone who teaches you how to get up on a stage and talk with a stentorian voice, that's kind of what it used to be. That was the norm. Again, a very male pattern of speech, but for everybody right now, the watchword is authenticity. So to seem like yourself, you have to sound like yourself. And so two things happen when instead of trying to sound good, quote unquote, you're trying to sound like yourself, you start to feel better. Then you sort of get to this place where you can get up in front of people and inhabit it as yourself. And then the audience responds to that because they see a real person. They don't want to see someone who's super polished anymore, who's a beautiful voice in a box. They want to see someone real and they want to have a moment of real connection. And it's, I think it's good that our culture is starting to value that, but we need to change the way that we speak because women for, I think, generations to play it safe, you know, as they're moving up the ladder, they have lopped off these more expressive, quirky, idiosyncratic parts of themselves that may actually be who they are. And so they lose some of that authenticity because they're trying to blend in to be safe. So they're not the person who gets cut. And the wheel is turning on this. The culture is changing. And we have to be really careful that if we go for this training, that we're getting training that helps us feel more like ourselves and not less like ourselves. Yeah, that's a very good point. We'll wrap it up there with the voices. But now I want to ask you a biggie. Um, and I've been asking everyone this uh, on this season, which is what was the last courageous act you made and what was the result or impact of that? Oh, yeah, that's such a good question. And so I've been thinking about this. What is the last courageous act? And I can't think of a really recent one, but I can tell you about one that was really meaningful to me that happened when I started on this journey thinking about women's voices. And it began in this workshop that I went to with Soren Wheeler, who is one of the producers on the hit radio show, Radio Lab. And he was really casual. He was up there. He was in a big room of people. He was telling stories. He was sharing radio craft. And at the end, he just opened it up for a Q&A like people do. And I was sitting in the back and I was not feeling like I needed to get my voice out there at the moment, but I did. I had been thinking about this. I'd been thinking about women's voices and I started to notice that every single person in the room who asked a question was a man and it kept going. 
And I kept thinking, okay, a woman has to ask a question next because there were at least half women in the room and it didn't happen. And then I started to think, okay, it's going to be me. I'm going to ask the question in this big room. And I didn't feel like I had a great question that I was burning to ask, but I was just getting that feeling that we've all had that feeling of just stuff building up where you really, really want to get in there. And so finally I did it. I just raised my hand and I didn't have a beautiful, brilliant question prepared. I just had a question and I asked it and he answered it. And after that, it was like the dam burst. Woman after woman after woman started speaking. But I took, I think, hearing another woman's voice to make it feel like it was safe to start talking. And I hope that's what we can take away is if you don't hear the voice you want to hear, you can be the voice. You can challenge yourself and step up and be that voice. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's like almost subconsciously they needed to hear that first or something. Yeah, and there's a great story in my book. There's a guy, the founder of the Moth radio show, actually, who said in the beginning of that show, only the guys would win the prizes, would win the final competition. And they started to think, I guess women aren't great at telling stories, which is sort of bizarre that they thought that, but that's what they were seeing because it was man after man after man. But he said it took more time to build up and it took women seeing other women winning these championships. And now he says almost all of the winners of their championships are women, but in the beginning, it wasn't like that. So women need to see other women doing it. And that's how we can help each other. Yeah, that's great. I love that. That's a good story too. All right, let's move into rapid fire. So these are short or one word answers. The last good book you read was? I read a book called A Study in Charlotte. It's a young adult novel. And it's one that I originally bought for my son, but he was like, I don't want to read it. So I read it. It was really good. It was about Sherlock Holmes as a 16-year-old girl, a descendant of the Holmes and a descendant of the Watson. I loved it. Oh, that sounds great. Also, I love that it's a female that's a descendant just because it seems that seems appropriate for this conversation we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She's a cool character, too. Yeah. So how do you wind down? I do a lot of things I like to cook. As you, I have a dog and I like to walk with my dog. So that's another thing. Spending time with my family. I love getting out in nature and I love to write. I still love to write and to read. That's a perfect segue into the next question, which is what was your favorite part of the book writing process? You know, it's funny. I'll just talk about writing. And what I really liked was the beginning process when the ideas are just popping, when it's blue sky, you could go anywhere, you could write anything. And everything seems like fodder for your book where everything just comes easy. So I did like that beginning part. There were parts that I loved of the writing process where you're really in the flow and you don't even recognize the time is passing. But for me, it was definitely the beginning. Yeah, I'm in the thick of edits right now for my book. And I understand why you're not talking about that. (laughs) You feel the pain. I feel Mm -hmm. the pain. It's hard to keep track of what you've done, what you haven't done. You know, it's just it's a a good lesson in organization as well. Yeah, I learned so much about organization that if I could do over, whoa. Yeah, yeah. So looking back, what would you tell your younger self? I think I'd tell her that it's going to be okay, that I didn't have to be so worried about so many things and to believe in myself. Yeah. But I think for me, it's been a process, you know, like Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. I think it's all been a process of me becoming who I am and allowing myself to be the person that I felt in the inside. It's that same kind of journey of bringing who I was on the inside, outside, And so in a way, I needed all of those steps to get to where I am. But if I could have just gone back and given myself a hug and said, you know what, you're awesome and it's going to be okay. Yeah, I often find a lot of people will give an answer like sort of similar to that. And it's interesting because when you're in it, you want it to happen so quickly. And in in hindsight, you're so grateful that it didn't happen all so quickly. So it's it's kind of it's a it's a tough one to 
for the younger self to accept, I think. Yeah, it is. It's kind of tough medicine, but it's worth it. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, Veronica, for joining us today. Let everyone know where they can find you, find your book, and, and reach out if they've got more questions. Excellent. Well, you can find me at veronicarickertcoaching.com. And Rickert is a wonky word, so it's last name. It's Veronica, V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A-R-U-E-C-K-E-R-T. So veronicarickertcoaching.com. And my book is called Outspoken, Why Women's Voices Get Silenced and How to Set Them Free. Amazing. And we'll put all those links in the show notes as well. And thank you again, Veronica. This was super insightful. Oh, it was really fun. Thank you so much. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about Acuity, the scheduling assistant that works 24-7 behind the scenes to fill your calendar and take hours of work off your plate. Have you ever been stuck in a back and forth email hole where you're trying to carve out a good time to connect? Add different time zones to people with busy schedules and rescheduling needs. All of a sudden, scheduling one meeting can take hours out of your workday. Never ask what time works for you again. Use Acuity to share your real-time availability and allow your clients to book time instantly. With a tool like Acuity helping, you can save time, book more clients, and get paid faster because you'll be automating some of the most annoying business day-to-day activities with just a few clicks. Acuity also has the ability to collect pertinent information before the meeting. With Acuity's intake forms, you can gather details about your clients before you get on the call. Another pretty awesome time saver if you ask me. Get back hours of your work week by putting Acuity to work for you. For a limited time only, you can get 45 days of Acuity scheduling absolutely free. No credit card required. Just go to acuityscheduling.com slash females. Again, that's Acuity Scheduling. Acuity is spelled A-C-U-I-T-Y scheduling.com slash females. All right, everybody, we're back with our favorite part of the episode, tough questions, where Kayleen and I answer, you probably are not shocked, a tough question, and we give you a little behind-the-scenes peek of what's going on in our lives and Career Contessa. So, Kayleen, what's going on in your world? (laughs) In my world, my work world, we are really heavy into creating courses right now, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting. We've been creating courses a lot around like soft skills, things like creating better structured meetings, things like public speaking, which actually that's what we're working on now, which I'm learning as I go because that is probably my number one (laughs) fear. So yeah, courses, courses, courses. I would check out the Career Contested courses. Are we allowed to plug ourselves? (laughs) We can definitely do that. (laughs) They can ignore it, but we can do it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, I will say too, the course topics are definitely not the ones that people are probably used to seeing as in terms of like coding skills and design Mm -hmm. skills. Like I feel like the internet has got that figured out. The one that we did on critical thinking, I thought was so fascinating, but it also sometimes frustrates me because I'm like, why don't they teach this stuff in like school, like elementary school? You know what I mean? I mean, maybe in a way they're teaching critical thinking, but, and I'm sure I was told to be a critical thinker probably in elementary school, but I just don't remember like some of the stuff when we're, when we're doing it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish... Where was that? Yeah, you do learn like, I mean, as we're researching them to put them together, you learn like all these theories and stuff. And it's like, how did I learn about, I I don't know, like the Boston Tea Party 16,000 times, like every year. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't know this like critical theory that I'm I'm literally going to have to use. It's Um, We were also talking, Aaliyah, who is our video producer at Career Contessa. So when we were making the one about solving problems, we're like, imagine if every workplace would just actually go through this process Mm -hmm. when there's a problem 
to solve it versus, you know, all the stuff that really happens when there's a problem. You would save so much time and so much angst and you wouldn't go home being like, oh, I think I, you know, I irritated this person. They're not speaking. (laughs) Like, just think of all the stuff you overanalyze, you know? Anyway, so what's going on in my world? I'm in New York this week. I'm speaking at the Riveter Summit in New York City. It's happening on the November 6th and 7th. And I'm I'm really excited because I've spoken at a bunch of conferences before and the Riveter has a great lineup. It's two days. I've like, sometimes I feel like when the conferences are all packed into one day, you're like, my brain's going to explode. I can only (laughs) hold on to so much information. So that's been really exciting. And also just what's nice too, is there's a lot of people that are in our orbit speaking at the conference. And so it's great to also get to catch up with all of them and be in the same room. So I speak at a lot of conferences, but I rarely do ones where I have to like travel and I spend all day and like fully immerse myself. And this one I'm actually going to speak at and like a 10. So I'm stoked for that for sure. Have some bagels for me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I've got, I've got like only bagel places saved. So gosh. Yeah. That's exciting. Also, it'll be fall in New York, which I cannot wait. Cool. Well, it could be glorious or it could be. That's true. Rainy. It's, 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 <laughs> I, I, mean, I should knock on wood so I get some good <laughs> weather. All right. So let's move into tough questions. Kayleen, my question for you is that this job at Kirk and Tessa requires a level of extroversion. And you have definitely told me that you're an introvert. So what's the most you've had to take yourself out of the box? Like the experience. The most? Oh my God. From first of all, from like day one, <laughs> we basically drop people into the deep end. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's no kitty pool. <laughs> there wasn't. So, you know, you get this job where you're like, I'm going to be like knee deep in content all day, all week, all year, right. all month. But I want to say it was like my third day where someone approached me and they're like, will you be in this YouTube video? And I was like, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Of course I will. Yeah. And I think, oh my gosh, I can't remember which one it was, but if you watched it, you would know. I was sweating. (laughs) I was so, so, so nervous. But then from there, I was like, all right, well, it's not as scary. And and now it definitely isn't. I've been in like probably a dozen at this point. And then another one would be, and again, speaking of New York, last year we went to an event and I taught a couple of breakout sessions. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm which was like very outside of my comfort level. But it was so like so super, super rewarding because even in the moment or like as soon as I finished talking, I was like, oh, my God, that was horrible. And so many so many women came up and they were like, that was great. They like emailed me afterwards. and It was like, wow, you just have such a, you have yourself stuck in such this view yeah. of who you are and how you're perceived etc. So then when you get like positive feedback, you're like, it minimizes it. It makes everything less and less and less scary. Yeah. I'm a true believer that confidence is built based off of like doing stuff Mm -hmm. and then whether good or bad experience, you learn from it. If it's bad, obviously, if it's good, you get that reinforcement and doing more of it. Yeah. And I used to say it too, like fake it till you make it. And I'm sure I've (laughs) said it on this podcast too, but like it's, you can't quite fake that. You really do have to like act, you know, you have to engage and then the confidence gets built from there. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy we just threw you into something. <laughs> Seriously, right into the fire. I but know. I mean, I think my motto is just like, say yes to everything and you'll figure it out. Mine too. To. Mine too. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, you know, you might want to think just a little <laughs> bit before you say yes. Because sometimes I do get myself in situations where I'm like, I really don't know what I'm doing. But it all works out. All right. So sort of on the same subject, since you're going to New York, when you go to like a new city or a big event, what's your networking strategy? Oh, that's a good question. I'm a big networker. I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely have built my career or like I would say one of my superpowers, you know, quote unquote <laughs> superpowers is that I'm really good at networking and like maintaining relationships. Mm-hmm. And 
like I'm not insulted when people are like, no, or they just ignore me. Mm -hmm. Like I'll keep reaching out with like respectfully and then I'll let it go if they don't. But for me, when I go to new cities, it's a great opportunity for me to meet in person with people that I have been emailing with, or maybe we've been, sounds weird, but like DMing on Instagram. (laughs) Like I weirdly have these people where I'm like, we're really close on Instagram. Yeah. Slide into my DMs. Yeah. So I would say about three weeks before I go somewhere, I make a short list of like, um, you know, top priority and the medium priority of people to me. And I reach out to top priority first and I try to schedule as many like coffees, breakfast, lunch, dinner. One of the nice things about New York is that, so I'm a member of the wing here in LA and there's one of those Mm -hmm. in New York and it it just simplifies it because you can say like, I'll I'll be here. And sometimes people will be like, great, I'll just stop in and meet you there. Or if they work at companies, the, the locations are usually close enough where I can like go and work Mm -hmm. out of there and then go meet people. So I'm going to be there for five days. One of the days I'm at a conference, but the other four, I would say I have already like a breakfast, lunch and dinner set up for every single one of those days. I know (laughs) one of my friends on Instagram the other day who also is a founder of a company. She was like, every time I go to New York, I pack my schedule and this time I'm not going to do it. And I actually had that thought like, (laughs) oh, shoot, I always do that, too. And I do. I always come home from New York like exhausted. Mm -hmm. New York lends itself well it to does. that though. Because yeah. unlike Los Angeles, you can. You're not gonna you first of all, it's like really easy to get around. I mean, I'm from New York. You're like a shark. If you stop moving, you just die. So you just don't. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> like, you can't stop moving. I always tell this story. I'm like, when you get off the subway, like you don't have any time to think. I don't care if you've gone the wrong direction, just keep moving because they are <laughs> going to run over you. No, and I I think. You're right. I think New York lends itself to that. And I also have this, like, I put this pressure on myself where I'm like, well, if you're going to be there Mm -hmm. and you're going to like justify being there for that long, like you need to go, go, go. But I also, I genuinely enjoy meeting people where it's like, hey, we've never met in person or we've met in person. We haven't seen each other in a while. Like, I don't think I would be able to do this if I didn't genuinely enjoy it. Yeah. So my strategy is like, but you have to give people enough of a heads up. So I would say like three or four weeks before I start sending emails and like I do it in waves in order to get things on the calendar. And then I try to be really strategic about the location so that Mm -hmm. I can hit more meetings in. And then, and then I get enough like weird pockets in between that I'll find like a Starbucks, a wing or whatever it is to work. So, you know, that's not for everybody, but it works for me for that. So that's how to network in another city. Happy networking. Happy networking. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. We love reading your reviews. They help us a lot. We'll be back next Tuesday with Mara Liddy and Naomi Hirabayashi, the founders of Shine, to discuss how to navigate the highs and lows of life. Until then, you can follow us on at The Females Podcast on Instagram. Share this episode with your work wives and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. People would ask us, like, is this self-help? Is this, you know, intentionality? What industry is this? And we were like, we don't know. And so we spent a lot of time knowing that we felt the shift happening. We very much felt it in our own relationship, but just in our own community and seeing people search for more preventative habitual tools around taking care of themselves. But we took a full step back when we first started the company and really looked at the trend over the past 20, 30 years. And I think we all know, particularly with the the launch of social media, we we all kind of misused those platforms for a while. We pretended to be crushing it. We pretended that, you know, everything was perfect and filtered everything. And I think what we're feeling now is very much a collective conscious backlash to that.